Successful athletes and professionals share their genius with the world. In this episode, we explore what it takes to run 310 miles, setting the FKT on the Superior Hiking Trail, while maintaining a relationship with your significant other. Um, welcome to the show, episode number 23, Brittany, Brittany Peterson and Cody Lind. How's it going, guys? Awesome. Thanks for having us. It's yeah, going good. well. <laughs> yeah. Big congratulations, guys. It looks like you guys are, you know, not at each other's throat and all in one piece. <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> He's upstairs right now, so that helps, right? <laughs> Brittany, you are our first return guest, and we had you on, believe, episode eight, seven or eight. Um, and we got into sky running and some various topics, but one of the big things we discussed was you were getting ready at that time to head out and train, and it was you were all consumed with getting ready for the Western States 100. Yes. Um, spoiler alert, you came in second, made a run for the start. Real quick, can you just go back to the race and fill our listeners in on how it all went this year for you? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, thank you so much for, I didn't realize I was the first return guest. That's mm -hmm. a great honor. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Western States, um, really just training went super solid. I was very familiar with the course, very familiar with how I was going to execute. And then just really the day went as good or better than I could have hoped um, as far as just things lining out with nutrition, with effort, with, you know, just my body holding up. And I really just had a tremendous day. And then the execution was as good as it could have been. So really, I mean, it was kind of just run 100K without really thinking. Like one of my good friends said, put your head in a lunchbox. <laughs> so I was kind of picturing peeking out of the lunchbox every now and again to like make sure I was on the right course and whatnot but really just staying kind of in my own world not worrying about where I was and who I was racing because I wasn't racing at that point so then it got got to 100k and that's where I mean the race really got pretty exciting at that point because well 100k I mean I had just repassed Casey so I was back in third had a really good section down to the river because I picked up Cody as my pacer, which is a huge uh, lift in spirits at that point. So you picked uh, up Cody at Michigan Bluff? At Forest Hill. Forest which Hill. Which is the yep, yep. the okay. 100K mark. Yep. So we had a really good section down to the river, and then the river is kind of that pivotal moment. That was mile 80 where for this last year – um, Courtney DeWalter ended up coming in there visibly limping and and not sure what her future was going to be as far as finishing the race. Um, and she was obviously in first place at that point. So really, I remember my coach kind of pulled me like by my face and, you know, I'd said like new plan. We're racing for first um, where after the river, it, I mean, the whole plan all along was you need to be able to run to the river and then the race starts after the river. And that's a super, super runnable section from mile 80 to the finish. 
um, where now I knew I was chasing Claire Gallagher, um, you know, trying to catch her and then see if I could take a stab at taking the lead. Um, so, so it was kind of funny because at that point my coach had said, you know, get to highway 49, which, um, was that mile 94, um, get to highway 49 at where you want to be, you know, when you finish, cause kind of historically, like who, you know, where you're at when you cross the highway is kind of where things will fall in place. Um, but anyway, so Cody and I ended up catching Claire just before highway 49 and we literally crossed highway 49 side by side. Oh, wow. That's an exciting <laughs> yeah. race. That doesn't yeah. happen that often. You know, it was, I think, I, you know, I wish I could have had a outer body experience and like experienced the race from the outside too, because it was just so exciting from all the recounts that I heard from other people. But for me, it was just like this blah of slow motion fatigue and like kind of bewilderment of like, here we are. Wow, this is happening. And I am so tired and I can't push and <laughs> I don't know, but it, it all just kind of seems slow motion for me. But and real yes. quick, real quick yeah. to uh, to to fill our listeners in. So you in the Western states, you end up crossing the highway, and it's there's a little bit of runnable terrain over after that, but you kind of have a slog up to the top of the hill. Um, yes, for the finish line. Um, before we go into everything that happened there, what were you thinking, Cody, at this moment? Because you're a pacer, obviously. You're <clears throat> you know you guys are partners. It's got to be a lot of emotion and stuff going on for you. You're running for the win. Take us back to what you were thinking at that time. Yeah, I mean, it was intense, but I knew we had done everything right, and we kept gaining time for the past 25 miles. We were gaining on first place, and I just knew it was a huge mental uh, barrier for both Brittany and Claire once we took the lead for you know that one mile that we had the lead. <laughs> And I knew, okay, things are really solid and it's going to take something out of this world for Claire to come back. And of all things, it it happened like that. But I just had this really uh, strong feeling and and all this confidence in Brittany as we kind of took the lead after Highway 49. Okay, so take us back to Highway 49. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, you're good. Uh, I mean, so climb up there to the next aid station was Pointed Rocks at 96. And that's where, I mean, Claire just stuck like glue. So mm-hmm. it was just kind of this, she, I think she described it as like this mystical, like mile together of, you know, working side by side, both kind of exhausted, you know, both of our pacers right there with us. Um, and then once we got to pointed rocks, it was like chaos just occurred, you know, like the, the recounts of like, I think pacers crossed in front of each other or something maybe with Claire and I, and like bottles were flying and it was just, it was game on at that point. And I, you know, as I was thinking back, I think, um, one of my Nike teammates interviewed for just kind of doing a story about Western States this year about last year's event um, where he kind of described or like my recount at that point was, you know, when Claire just put this huge hammer on my mindset was kind of like, Oh, I wish I would have thought of that. That was such a smart move. <laughs> you know, like, like, I don't know what I was thinking for that mile. Like as we were slogging up to point new rocks, but she definitely had a plan. 
And I was like, oh, crap, and tried to hang on. Um, And that's where, you know, Cody and I kind of describe it of like, for me, I was like, man, I didn't get to that next level. And he's like, no, you are still running really fast. Like Claire was just out of this world. And then just hearing her, you know, like she blacked out and she just was running like just at a whole different level. That was so, so impressive. Um, And that's what makes, you know, like she was able to dig to this level. And then it pushed me, you know, like Cody had said, those last like 25 plus miles of, you know, running faster than I ever thought I could at the end of a hundred mile race, where even though I came out with second, you know, it was still like these huge accomplishments on both sides. Mm So, um, once we got to no hands bridge, I guess she was 90 seconds ahead, but I knew that that climb up to Roby point was coming. And even going into the race, I'm like, gosh, that's going to be such a hard hill. That's, you know, so late in the race. I sure hope that I don't have to run that hard. (laughs) And at that point, yeah, like I was just toast. And I remember like Cody's like super great and just encouraging me. And I'm under my breath basically saying like, I'm sorry, (laughs) I, I'm done. (laughs) I can't, I can't hit that next gear. Um, So, so we kind of settled in and really just enjoyed those last few miles, especially from Roby point into the finish, you know, had my, my coach and another friend and, and just really enjoyed that last, like the ambiance of heading into the track and just celebrating a hard earned second place. That was a phenomenal day. Yeah. Huge. Congrats. Did, uh, yeah, thanks. did anyone in the community or any of the race directors, was anybody talking about how excited, I mean, that has to be one of the most exciting race finishes for that race. I mean, a lot of times it's first place is an hour ahead or, you know, it's not mm-hmm. often there's actually a race to the finish for first place. I mean, people battle it out later on, but was there any talk about that? I think, I mean, from what I heard, like the announcer was going nuts at the track (laughs) where like, again, I wish I could have had that experience too of like, just, you know, a hundred mile race isn't exactly exciting, especially when you, you know, you can't see and you can't follow, but they do a good job at the track anyway of like having the live announcer and, doing updates of what's going on on the course. And I, I just kind of picture that have, you know, being a pretty exciting moment of like, holy crap, people are, you know, first and second are right together and we're, you know, under five miles to go. Like that's unheard of. Sweet. Man, great accomplishment. That's a great race. A lot of energy out there. Um, man, what a great race. Switching gears, Cody, let's jump over to you. Um, Let's start off by introducing yourself and giving our listeners something that most people don't know about you. Yeah, so first off, I'm Cody Lind, and I grew up in a super small town in Idaho, kind of in the heart of Idaho when you picture the state, in a town called Chalice, where there are a lot of different mountain ranges that are really big that people don't know about. And I kind of grew up hunting, fishing, and one of my hobbies that I have really still like doing is uh, finding sheds and finding deer and elk sheds in the spring. And that's something that I did growing up and would get me in the mountains all day long and kind of just translated into running in the mountains as well. Um, But I also have a really big history in the Western states, and my grandfather was the head medical director from the very beginning, uh, since Gordy Ainsley's horse went lame 
uh, my grandpa decided to follow him and kind of said, no way someone can do this. And lo and behold, here we are, uh, like 47 years later, still at Western States. And I would go out every year as a small kid with my grandpa and follow along the whole race. And so it's something that is really near and dear to my heart and something that I have not done yet. Um, but definitely on a huge bucket list item is to complete the Western States. Yeah. So even with those connections, do you have to get in the lottery and, and hope it all works out? Uh, totally. Yeah. I mean, you try to, I mean, there are the golden ticket races and those are really competitive and, uh, but yeah, I still, I don't want to put any cards or play any, uh, favors at all because I want to do the, the whole process and, um, just like everyone else would. What about running? How did you get into that? Have you always been a runner? Yeah, I kind of, I did a lot of track and field cross country growing up, uh, in middle school, high school, did it for a year in college. And my dad was my coach and was a cross country and track and field coach in my town that I grew up in. Um, and I probably did my first 10 K. I remember when I was eight years old i remember doing the local 10k and that just i was like oh wow i kind of like these this longer because you had to like take i just remember having to drink a bunch of water afterwards i'm like this takes a lot out of you <laughs> <laughs> and uh something i just kind of connected with and really liked and has led me to exploring the world and doing a lot of different races a lot more technical just because that was kind of my specialty i would get to go in the mountains and go climb big peaks or go check out some weird rock formation that I always wanted to see that I could see from the house or something. And that's kind of how running evolved for me. You've got quite uh, a resume in the sky running um, portion of this, of this sport. What draws you to that? I think uh, the technical courses and it's a combination. A lot of these races are a combination of both kind of rock climbing, scrambling, peak bagging, and then running and having to have running legs at the end of these races uh, to finish strong. And that's kind of what drew me. I did, uh, I think it was 2015, 2016, I did the U.S. Skyrunner um, series all within North America. And then that kind of led me to explore the world and go see some of these other ones in Norway, Scotland, um, Spain and that and those are just it's a whole different sport in Europe um, it's a sky running is a sport and just really neat experience because it combines a lot of different things what's your favorite sky running race oh it's so hard there's there's a few but I definitely like Glencoe skyline in the highlands of Scotland um, and that's just because the course is so epic so gnarly and you're just for it was eight hours it's 50k but it takes eight hours and you are just constantly scrambling and going along some really wild ridges and everything is just slick and wet and it's bad weather and just just a good time (laughs) (laughs) type two fun right there (laughs) that's right speaking of type two fun let's let's switch gears here to your fkt on the superior hiking trail can one of you guys just explain what the Superior Hiking Trail is, where it's at, and what drew you to give this a go? So, <clears throat> I am a native Minnesotan, 
and the town that I grew up in and where I graduated high school is essentially where the Superior Hiking Trail starts. Um, so the beginning of the Superior Hiking Trail is all like where I became a runner and what really defined me as a runner. Um, so that really drew us to it. But so the Superior Hiking Trail, uh, the guidebook says 310 miles, but that is with all the spur trails added on. So it's just shy you know, 298, 299, um, mile long trail that is from basically Renshaw, Minnesota, or the outskirts of Jay Cook State Park, and then goes up the North Shore of Lake Superior, basically to the Canadian border. So the trail is... I forget when it was completed because when I lived there, it wasn't completed connecting Jay Cook through Duluth to the Superior Hiking Trail that goes up north. Um, but they had finished that, I think, somewhere in the mid-2010 plus range, um, where now like it is a continuous through hike that I think is gaining traction and gaining popularity amongst through hikers where it's, you know, in a a long range, but not quite like the PCT or something like that. Right. Um, but the trail, I was super excited. <clears throat> I mean, with this year being so non-traditional and like races are not happening, I wanted to prioritize some family time in Minnesota, show Cody Minnesota in the summer. Cause he's only been in winter when it's maybe less desirable to be there um, for, uh, for runners anyway. Um, and then to get on the Superior Hiking Trail, because it is just, for the Midwest and for people that don't know, like, I mean, it's so cool to hear Cody say, like, that was so gnarly and so technical and so hard, because it's just a different beast. It's rocky, rooty, and we had 38,000 feet of gain over the 300 miles, which isn't a ton, but it's constantly up, constantly down. So you're never getting into a rhythm. You're dealing with all sorts of terrible footing and then not to mention other, you know, humidity, mosquitoes, all the things that I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, but while, you know, just being in this beautiful, lush, green, you know, awesome rock formations, getting up high where you can just overlook Lake Superior, running right on Lake Superior, um, there's just so many things about it that with this year being non-traditional, I was like, well, let's go visit family and then let's do this cool little running adventure on the side <laughs> and then drag Cody along with it. But, but we were both super excited because I had really wanted Cody to see, you know, places that I toured around as a kid. And, you know, I had been on different sections of the Spear Hiking Trail. There's a place called Wolf Ridge where in seventh grade, our class took a field trip, you know, and did like a couple day stint at this, you know, nature center. Um, you know, so it's just, it was really nostalgic for me. Sweet. You know, I've spent a little bit of time up there. I've, uh, I've done some kayaking trips up on the North Shore in April yeah. when, the, when the snow melts and the Temperance River, Beaver, Gooseberry. Yes. I can't remember all of the rivers. <clears throat> um, but there was, I mean, it's a good hit list. Lots of waterfalls. But I can attest to how rugged and jungly it is up there. 
And one thing I wanted to ask you about, when I saw this first happening, I didn't know anything about it until I was following your gram, Brittany. I was like, oh, this looks sick. And <laughs> the first thing that came to my head was, how are they going to deal with the bugs? Because <laughs> if you've never dealt with the bugs in a place like that, how would you describe it? How was that part of it? I'm, I'm, I'm personally super interested in that. I've never seen or been around that many mosquitoes or bugs in my life. It's a whole different level. It really is. And I, I mean, between bug spray and by the end, I was just wrapping myself in my rain jacket. It was hot out, but I didn't, I was so tired of the mosquito bites, but also there were points on this where we're 250 miles in and everything is hurting. And I'm like, Oh, another mosquito bite. At least I, and it's just an itch somewhere and I'm not going to focus on my feet hurting or something else. So yeah, whole different level of, of just having to deal with bugs and you're just wanting to move and not sit around whatsoever yeah. because as soon as you stop, you're just swarmed by <laughs> hundreds or thousands of mosquitoes. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> just envision myself out there and just being like, Oh, I got to just, I got to <laughs> stop for a second or I got to fill up my water or I've got to adjust something and you're hot and you're sweaty and it's just like you can't even describe the noise it's just like right yeah. <laughs> and falling asleep to that oh, man yes savage and falling asleep to that so let's talk about the trip let's just take me through the days how long it took just give me the play-by-play -play. it let's see so our overall time was four days nine hours and like 27 minutes, 18 seconds. <laughs> um, so I think like day one, we started south, you know, the southern terminus and then went north to the northern terminus, which is, I thought it'd be cool to run from my hometown to Canada, essentially, <laughs> um, where I think most people do it the other way, which does make sense if you're finishing in a more popular place. Because that first day, I mean, we're running through my high school hometown I went to college in Duluth so my you know college hometown and we had pockets of friends that came and stopped out on the course one of my college uh, teammates ran with us for a little bit where in hindsight I mean those were that was super awesome but that was you know 60 miles in that would have been super awesome Okay. 260 <laughs> miles in, um, though it would probably would have been less pleasant for them. Um, but it was super cool. Like it was really, really hot that day. So uncharacteristically warm for the North shore and for Duluth with like greater than 90% humidity where Cody had just come off of the coastal challenge in February. Um, and he fared pretty well. And I kind of suffered that first day not really realizing that I was suffering until maybe towards the end because um, we broke it up into five 60-mile sections and then we tried to make our sections kind of go into one another so they weren't days, they were sections that depending on how long we slept, we could try to save some time and make it under the five days. Um, or it Was that the previous uh, in, time? Yes. So we, our goal was, you know, our A goal was to set the fastest known time for both men and women, which uh, a 69-year-old man, Michael Copy, had just set it like two and a half weeks before we did, 
bumping it up from six days to he was five days and three hours, which is super, super impressive. We were following his journey and that man like slept less than, I mean, he, he was, is the true ultra runner that would just go and then sleep on the trail for an hour and then go again. And he did that for his whole journey, which is really impressive. <laughs> we were trying to balance sleeping a little bit more to not just destroy ourselves um, early on. And then we figured it would kind of cascade into sleeping less and moving more. So trying to balance the two approaches of not going out super hot and running really fast and having, you know, six hours of luxury with our feet up, um, but keeping a pretty conservative pace and then resting a middle ground amount and then kind of finding that happy balance as we were more fatigued or we couldn't sleep as much. You know, if you're not sleeping, you better be moving was kind of our philosophy. Right. Right. So you just kept a little cushion on those stages and gave yourself some flexibility. Yeah. So day one crushed it a little hot. You were feeling rough. And then what happens the next day? Day two was, it was another hot day. I mean, record high temps once again. Um, but, and Brittany, I should let her tell this part, but she started the day off by, uh, losing all of her dinner and all of her <laughs> hydration right out of the get-go and uh, was having some stomach issues. And this was like three in the morning. <laughs> and, and I just kept saying, just keep drinking and eating a little at a time because we'll get through this. And I mean, we're not even 100 miles in at this point. So mentally, oh, you can just, it's hard mentally because you're like, holy crap, we still have another 220 miles of this. Um, but it was really impressive. And just one of, uh, kind of my high points was the morning of day two. We're just kind of like in this high, uh, it's a dense area of trees, but I felt like we were kind of somewhat high where we, it was open and we could see the sunrise over Lake Superior. And it was just an incredible orange, beautiful sky at 415 in the morning. And, uh, so that kind of led us the start of day two and then i'll let Brittany kind of dig into it right now because this was one of her lowest points kind of <laughs> mid day two morning of day two so what brought on the the stomach i think i mean so i i'm not sure exactly like i think i messed up my hydration as far as maybe too much electrolytes I remember with my bottles, I had run, I was just wanting water and I ran out of water. So I had electrolyte mix that I think was just making me want more water. So I don't know if I mixed my concentration too heavy or what, um, where my, my fluids were just off, I think day one. And then we finished at 10 o'clock at night, tried to eat, but I think my mouth was just kind of wrecked and I just wanted to go to bed. So I didn't do super great at hydrating. So then woke up awful stomach, puke and rally felt better, <laughs> but that was a rough way to start another 60 mile section oh, so with another hot day. And then I'll, uh, Hopefully everyone's okay with gory details here, but bring it. Uh, yeah. So, so being a lucky lady, I had my menstrual cycle where day one was actually my heavy day of my menstrual cycle. 
So that was really lucky. <laughs> and um, I don't know how much that threw my body off, but my body was very confused. So day two, I'm actually peeing blood, which, oh. yeah. So, so I was pretty confused on like, is this my menstrual cycle? But you don't pee blood with your menstrual cycle. I obviously was very dehydrated. So then, you know, I'm a healthcare provider. So I'm like, I have acute kidney injury. I'm probably going to be having rhabdo here soon. I was in a pretty low spot of I'm ruining my body and I'm going to end up in the hospital. And this is stupid. <laughs> um, but <laughs> Cody was really good. You know, like we're I was palpating like, OK, my kidneys don't feel tender. Not that I'm a doctor or anything. But, you know, doing these other checks of like I had been drinking red Gatorade, <laughs> you know, so all of these factors that were just kind of clouding, like, is this really dangerous or is this just a lot of red circumstances? <laughs> um, but ultimately, looking back, I'm sure there was kidney injury going on and obviously dehydration. But once I I just cut all electrolytes and I was drinking pure water and I went two bottles in my pack and two handhelds of solid water. And I was just sipping every now and again, just kind of small amounts and sipping. And I could tell, you know, the, the burning and the frequency was lessening, um, though still there. I mean, I ran with bad bladder issues for over six hours. Um, and that's where, I mean, Cody, I don't think it really impacted our pace tremendously. I know Cody probably could have run faster. We were and, crushing. We were right on. But pace. I mean, <laughs> but that's the thing where we were doing well, where I think he kept logically reminding me, you're, you know, you wouldn't be able to do what we're doing if this was really, really bad. And, and maybe a listener will correct us and say, this is really <laughs> stupid because I'm not promoting um, yeah. damaging your body. <laughs> But, I mean, I was seeing, as I was getting my fluids kind of corrected, um, the color of my urine was better, the frequency was better, blah, you know, all of those things were correcting. And that helped me get out of my mental low spot of, I'm going to end up in the hospital, I should just DNF. Um, you know, we're not even at 100 miles, which was frustrating because I can run that distance, but it was a... Uh, you know, looking back now, it was a good challenge of just seeing what the body can do to fix itself in some circumstances, you know, many circumstances, but not all. Um, and then how much, you know, volitional control of your mind, because the moment I was thinking about hospitalization and damaging, you know, it was also the easy way out of I'm starting to hurt, you know, like how much of that was my mind taking me down a route that, you know, is where a DNF would have come in when maybe it wouldn't have, obviously it didn't need to. Um, so that's where, where Cody was really, really instrumental in just keeping my head in a positive place and watching for those signs and kind of keeping track of things. And eventually my body did turn around and man, when I felt good, I felt good and I could eat and everything just turned around which was awesome. <laughs> so Cody, I mean, obviously on the outside, you were putting on a very positive front, but inside, did you have any worries? I mean, you had to have some concern going on there. 
Yeah, I mean, so being blood and that type of stuff, it's not great for the human body, and there's some damage being done. But I knew, and I just kept thinking back to my grandpa and a lot of the medical stuff that I've learned throughout the years from Western states and heat and dehydration, and I knew that if we just, and I knew how well she was running, but if we just kept taking care of the little things like drinking little bits of water, taking a little bit of food at a time, we weren't hammering paces. We just needed to keep moving um, that we would come out of it. And if I saw certain signs, by all means, yeah, we're going to pull the plug and we're going to go get help if we need to. But I just didn't see that. And we were moving so well. And then it was really impressive by the end of day two into day three, just how well we were moving and how everything just turned around. And some of that had to do with Finally, we got some cooler temperatures during the night, a little bit of rain on night two going into day three uh, that just really helped mentally, but also physically just kind of cool down the body. Interesting. There's something to be said about the art of being comfortable in the uncomfortable. Um, Obviously, Brittany, you were really uncomfortable at, at this, is there anything you can share with our listeners that you used to kind of put yourself in a good mental state to get through this? Was, was there any, uh, is there any advice or, or a way to, uh, um, just kind of describe that mentality to keep yourself in the game? I mean, this is where, you know, just hours and hours of thinking, I was kind of disappointed in myself because it's like, man, I needed Cody. But then it was like, well, no, I'm lucky to have Cody to, you know, someone that knows me so well and then knows exactly what I'm going through because we were going through it together that could kind of help point my compass in the right direction. And then I could do, you know, the mental work of getting my head back on track. But But it was definitely something, you know, where I kind of came out of this experience with a goal for myself of how can I kind of steer that a little bit better myself. But at the same time, with so many of these events, you know, like having a coach, having a crew, having your, you know, people that build you up like that goes so far for all of us where I wouldn't say I'm mentally weak, but it's definitely an area that I want and I I find that I need to improve because I tend to rely on some of those people maybe too much. But at the same time, it's it's just that tricky balance. But I think having good people in your corner really can go so, so far. And then I think objectively too, like, you know, I could spiral as a healthcare provider might of like, I could get this and this and this and I'll die, you know, or, you know, whatever. But it's like, well, that's a tired brain, a little bit of being a hypochondriac, knowing maybe a little too much um, and, and having a more objective outsider perspective too of like, well, yeah, I am running pretty well and okay, maybe the color is getting better or, you know, like things like that, that just helped, helped me pull out of that. But I think that was like the biggest aha moment for me for this journey was, I mean, I, I remember this was like early ponderings, like third day, you know, butt crack of dawn. I'm actually pretty alive and awake and Cody's like a sleepwalking zombie behind <laughs> me. But, but I remember I was like, I had this epiphany of like your body 
automatically corrects so many things. But the one volitional thing that we need to do for ourselves is keep your mind on track. And that was like mind blowing for me at that moment because I had witnessed myself go through like my mind lost it and Cody helped me find it and secure it again. But it was like, wow, you know, I need to, the one job I have is controlling my mind and and that's a hard job. But, mm-hmm. but my body was doing what it was supposed to do. Obviously, I was helping that by getting proper hydration. Um, but that was kind of my like mind-blowing you know, three o'clock in the morning. I think we were running along the Temperance River, which is absolutely yeah. stunning. Um, and just that was my epiphany of I felt awesome at that point and we're, you know, like 150 miles in. <laughs> Rad. Real quick before I move on to this, like how did you're just like, hey Cody, uh I'm pissing blood. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> how, did the, how did you break that news? <laughs> I don't really remember, but this is like the it was a little louder than that. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I don't think this is normal. I did actually take a picture too, because I'm like, I'm gonna send it to my coach, and I don't know, like I don't know what to do. Like, in my lower moments, I did not send it to anybody, but but I do have evidence that I was peeing blood. Uh, but yeah, we're we're pretty open anyway. That none of this surprises Cody. Yeah, there wasn't much hesitation by any means. So now you're day three. You're moving into day four. Take us through kind of this final push. So it, it was just kind of like day three. We're 200 plus miles, 220 miles in, and I just remember something that was really special to me and I was seeing Brittany at a really high point and seeing everything kind of come back around and she was leading and I felt like she was dragging me along because I was super tired um kind of mid-morning that 7 to 10 a.m I just seemed to get really sleepy in that time frame and she was just on her game at that time so it worked out really well and she was just pulling me along and it was so inspiring because we're just running everything at that point. And, uh, then that kind of led us in today, the end of day three, which we were 250 miles in at that point, which mentally, you know, okay, we're, we're getting close, but it's also taking forever just to do 10 miles because pace is, is slowing down just because your body is wrecked. My knee started giving me a little bit of problems because my IT band and uh, I, I started struggling on the downhills. But um, one thing that I found in any little bit of positivity, whether it was from Brittany or our crew, uh, just goes a long ways, especially when you're so tired and so deep in at that point. And I think that was huge for me um, come day three, day four, knowing that, okay, we're, we're getting there. We're on track to set an FKT. We're not going to be, I mean, ultimately thinking at one point, could we go sub four days? That would be huge, but we knew, okay, we're well under the FKT and we're going to crush this thing. Let's just finish it and finish it as strong as we can. And just really, I mean, that's kind of when you know everything about your significant other at that point, knowing oh, I that bet you do. <laughs> every little thing, you, know, you have this system down of 
<laughs> of one another. And it was just an amazing moment. Day three, just because you're getting close, you're still in that mental battle. But once you're under a hundred miles, under 70 miles, you start to see this light and have this, this really cool feeling. Hmm. What about your crew? How did you, how did you set up crew sleeping areas? What were your logistics there? So this was kind of the other part that was pretty special was, you know, my family's from Minnesota. I somehow got my dad and my brother to volunteer um, (laughs) to be our crew and neither of them are ultra runners. Um, Fortunately, my brother's girlfriend was able to come with and she is a runner. And my brother has a little bit of experience of he had helped her kind of crew her for some 50 K's. Um, and my dad, his first time at an ultra event was Western States last year. And they just had an awesome time and, and kind of had seen everything in action, but were never really the, the key people. And so we, we kind of coached them along as far as what, this is what we would want or, you know, don't be upset if we're cranky or, you know, just different things. But, but they, when it came time to do it, like they just rose to the occasion and then some. Um, where it was super awesome having, you know, local people where my dad and my mom had gone up to, um, oh gosh, Tedaguch state park a bunch of times. And, you know, they knew a lot of the back roads and where the trail actually went geographically versus, you know, I know that it goes North, but I don't know how you get there from the road and things like that. Um, so it was awesome having people that knew the area And then they just surpass all of our expectations of, you know, like kind of pulling out seasoned crew things like, you know, at Gooseberry, hopefully we don't get in trouble for this, but they drove like where they weren't supposed to go and they got right on the trail so that where they had all of our chairs, they had the cooler, the van was right there, you know, where like, it's like, that's exactly what a a seasoned crew would do is make it where we didn't have to take a step off the trail. They had everything we needed. And, you know, at one point my brother's like helping me change my socks. (laughs) Like, I mean, it was just, they did so awesome. I know it's such a special thing because actually the last morning, you know, we had gotten up at one o'clock. We had kind of come in at like 10 30, 11. So really we, we weren't sleeping very much towards the end. And that was Father's Day, the day that we finished, you know, and my dad was like, there's nothing I would rather be doing. And there is like a hint of sarcasm, you know, because we're all kind of <laughs> over it at that point. <laughs> um, you know, but it's like, happy Father's Day, dad. Thanks for whining and dining for me the whole day. And then some. But yeah, I mean, that was they the, the cool thing about the Superior Hiking Trail is there's tons of access points. So we did. We were seeing them maybe every 10 miles on average, but then by the end when we were kind of getting into like, we're desperate to just see people and have that positivity, you know, so they figured out ways of like splitting crew. And we actually had a photographer from Duluth, um, local that she joined us and by the end she ran sections with us and she was like part of our crew and it was just, it was pretty cool. Um, the whole thing and just the camaraderie. Actually, one of my highlights too is um, Cody was kind of hitting a low point where he could hike super fast. Like any of his hiking, I still had to run to catch up, you know, but the the knee pain was limiting his downhill. So 
our paces were slowing and we had kind of succumbed to more consistent hiking. And there's this one spot that I remember when we were planning the routes, you know, there was a long road stretch. And so I had just said, you know, aid station somewhere in there, but my crew, like they knew they, they got us right when we got on the road and they followed us the entire road section. My dad got out, got out and ran, you know, quote, ran with us, you know, where he's like, look, I'm running with professional athletes. <laughs> yeah, and then my, my brother and his girlfriend are in the van and they're cranking music. And I took a little selfie video and was just like, this is what 270 miles looks like. <laughs> and we have such an awesome crew because we needed that boost of energy and and our crew without even prompting of like hey we're gonna really need you on that whole stretch like i didn't i was thinking that but i never said that and they just knew exactly what to do it and that was kind of a fun i think when the the sleep deprivation and the light at the end of the tunnel was there but still so far away because we still had 30 miles left um i think that's where all of us kind of were in the loony bin a little bit together but just kind of have these bonding moments which was pretty special yeah where were you sleeping in a van or in tents or yeah we had a van uh sprinter van we just got like three weeks ago and now we have like over five thousand miles on it that we <laughs> did in the first three weeks but uh they would have it and then we kind of at the end of each section they would have the van there and then we would just kind of crawl in there and maybe it was nice just to have a bed in there, whether you're sleeping or not, just to get off your feet and lay down horizontally for a few hours. Um, and then by the by the end, there were a few times that it was like we come into an aid station and it was like set an alarm for 15 minutes and we just want to and crash for 15 minutes on the bed. Um, and it worked out really well. And they did an awesome job getting it to the places as well. Yeah, you could hide from the skeets in there. Exactly. <laughs> what would you do different? Like looking back, would you do everything the same? Is there anything different? I mean, obviously you'd try to not urinate blood, but <laughs> <laughs> outside of that. I think one thing, so they kind of joked that I was like a pregnant lady towards, like once I could eat, all <laughs> I wanted was like anything that was on that rotating, like whatever conveyor belt at a convenience store you know like i wanted the corn dog that had been sitting there for a day <laughs> or you know anything greasy and hot i mean it was hot weather but like i i mean we planned we had lots of food prepped real food but i just couldn't eat any of it and i've always kind of said like oh i'm a pretty low maintenance runner like when it comes to crewing and food and stuff that i need but i was so high maintenance you know, like my brother ran, like they got us donuts and coffee. They got us Dairy Queen. They got us, you know, McChickens. Like, and, and that was the type of food that I was wanting. And we actually, we had, it took us way too long or me way too long to like think of this, but we had those backpackers meals, um, you know, salt, hot, and an actual like real tasting meal. And so we, we started eating those and I would have started with that sooner. Mm. So I think like figuring out having real meals, cause I mean, I would sit and eat that whole bag to myself once my stomach was good. And I really think in those hotter moments, I struggle with eating real food and when it's hot, I think maybe a lot of us do, but if I could have kept my stomach more full, I think I would have had less stomach issues ultimately. Um, and 
just I think day one I was I was not nothing was appetizing and maybe I don't know I mean you get into that like I can eat anything I think the further you go so the first 60 miles would have been tough to just eat a backpacking meal but I don't know I think I think those were clutch for me and having real food where we had plans of that but but it didn't really come into fruition I didn't know that I was going to need hot um and and then we were able to warm up some of the food that we did have and that made it more appetizing but that would be one of the big takeaways that I'd have I don't know about you Cody yeah I think kind of big picture for me seeing that area I think in the fall would be really cool um I've never ran that much in such a thick forest and I can't even imagine what some of those high points would look like in early fall before the leaves would fall because I've heard Hmm. you can't even see the trail once all the leaves are on the ground but I think seeing that area at a different time of year I mean it was so green and so amazing um but I think all the different colors would be really amazing uh but that might lead me to say that I would just want to go do sections now. Maybe not the whole thing. (laughs) What's it like taking on something so intense with your significant other? Like what, would you recommend this to another couple out there who likes to do something like this? Or are you guys going to do something like this again together in the future? How did that play out? For us, I think it worked out so well, and we have so much fun going and exploring places around the world and mountains um, that it's it's your best friend out there and that you get to spend that time. And I don't know, we just have this really good bond and all the positivity when we're doing something that big. Um, you know, we're just like any other couple, whether you're doing a project at home or something, <laughs> you might see differences in something, but I feel like we really connect and um have this special bond when we're able to be on the trail or go explore an area that I don't know you just have this safety factor with one another and you know them so well that um I can read Brittany when something's really good or really bad and um I knew when she was in a big low but I also know when things are going really well and kind of when you're with your significant other on something like that you you know when the right what the right things are to say at the right time um and if you have a friend or someone else you might not know as well uh it's hard to read one another um especially for 300 miles and i feel like our relationship just grew stronger over the course of 300 miles and nothing but great things for me yep and you guys and I think are... oh i'm sorry Brittany. go ahead I was just going to say, like, with Western states and having a pacer, I didn't know what I was going to feel like at the end of 100 and if I was going to be cranky because that threshold of, you know, I don't have to be polite or whatever because I don't know this person as well. Like, I was worried, am I just going to bite his head off because Mm -hmm. I can, you know, because we're, we have that closeness um, where Western states was just such I mean, it was all positivity, like every he could say anything and it just lifted me up so much where that was a huge indicator of when I'm suffering or when I'm in pain or whatever, I don't revert to that. Like, I just don't want to be around you. It's all it's that I'm comforted by being around you. And I think 
also having that mutual suffering with both of us doing the same thing together with a shared goal. I mean, we realize how special that is to be able to do that together. Mm. Yeah. Um, where there may have been times where we were running in complete silence forever, you know, but, but it'd be a couple, like maybe a couple grunts here and there, <laughs> or, you know, like short, like good job, you know, but, but I think it was just that, that mutual experience that there was never really low points where we're at each other's throats or anything no. like that. Cause we're, you know, you're just too tired and you respect how the other person is feeling. Cause you know, firsthand how they're feeling. Did you do anything specific to train for this um, outside of what you would normally do um, in a training cycle? Yeah, so we kind of did some back-to-back -back long runs. It was kind of, we decided to do this, it was kind of last minute, about eight, ten weeks before we decided. And we did like a 30-mile, three 30-mile runs back-to-back-to-back. Um, one weekend and then about 10 days after that we did two 12-hour days uh, one that was 62 miles and one that was 55 miles um, and those were kind of our peak training runs and just getting time on feet practicing eating and hydration and just I guess exploring and completing every trail we have in our backyard so we are ready to take on something different and something point to point that we had never set foot on necessarily. Um, but I feel like that prepped us really well as far as the running portion mentally, there might've been other things we could do or that we can do. Um, just because that's so tough mentally, especially the first 100, 150 miles. Yeah, man. Congratulations, you guys. That's so hard. <laughs> yeah. It's never, Oh, it's never just an easy magic carpet ride. That's for sure. <laughs> it really is not. <laughs> What's in store for you guys for the rest of 2020? I think, I mean, Besides the whole... survive. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. That first, but, but I mean, it seems like people are getting their hearts set on races and then races are getting canceled where... Where instead of just playing on that yo-yo, I think we're just really looking at what's the next adventure. You know, there's other FKTs out there. There's, you know, heck, we have this time. Like, let's go backpacking. Let's do a fast pack route. Let's just enjoy nature. Um, not to say that there's not competitive endeavors. I think seeing what maybe the latter part of 2020 brings, if there are races that you know, it's, it's kind of, we're getting to that point, I think right now of like itching to travel. Like we, we haven't been out of the country for a long time. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'll look at this race. Cause I wouldn't consider this one before, but it's like, well, no, I, I probably shouldn't go to South Africa right now. You know, like, so, so I think it's kind of blending those two worlds of see how the world progresses, be responsible. And then gosh, there's so many other outdoor backyard adventures. Like there's an FKT that, I have, in, well, Cody has like a super solid one of the Idaho 12ers. I did it with Cody and with our friend Nate Bender several years ago. But it, I feel like for a women's FKT, I want to go and set the real thing by myself. I kind of joked on the, on the SHT, you know, like, nope, not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like that's still kind of dangling out there of like, go set that real FKT. And that's mountain adventures in our backyard. Um, 
but who knows what the next plan will actually be. <laughs> yeah, and there's so many areas and different places that don't have times or different routes, and that's something that we want to combine as well, is just going and exploring and maybe put together a route that hasn't been done before. That's something mm-hmm. else I'll yeah. kind of in store this year. Yeah, I really like the the FKT concept and just picking out routes and laying it down and saying, hey, see if you can, uh, totally. I did this, come on out and Setting beat it. the bar, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that's such a cool thing about the culture of FKTs because like the women's, the gal, Alex Elizabeth, that had the women's FKT for the Spear Hiking Trail, you know, she had been kind of putting or reading through the lines because I had put some little danglers out there of like a guidebook for the Spear Hiking Trail and like maybe something's going on, you know, and she's like, is that a fresh off the press, you know, guidebook? <laughs> oh my gosh, are you going for the FKT? That's so awesome, you know, and and just to have like the person that has the FKT to then like support you and cheer you on and congratulate you. And then just, it just fosters that like, all right, who's going to come and take mine, yep. like go and do it. That'd be so awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, because we want more people out there and celebrating this trail and celebrating what your body can do on it. And I feel like that's, that's such a special new competitive, but really celebratory together and, and that's such a cool culture records are made to be broken yeah absolutely um what this is a little off topic topic but i was just thinking about races when you were talking about you know pretty much everything's canceled do you envision a way of all the races you've done to still put on the event but do it in a um a safe way would it be starting people in one minute intervals you know is there can you have you guys just thought about or within the community envision ways to to do an event maybe it's different than it normally is but you know a way to pull it off yeah and that that's something we're constantly thinking about i actually put help put on a race with my dad in central idaho and we had to cancel it it was in june um and i think it's going to have to be something that's spread out or not as many people, um, in the entrance list, uh, aid stations. That's a big thing as far as food or, okay. So you have these aid stations where maybe crew is able to come into where you can only go to your crew or your people that are all spread out. Um, so there's an aid station, but not an aid station for everyone. You have to have your own individualized stuff. Um, and then, okay, well, how do you race or pass someone along a single track trail properly? Gosh, there's so much that I'm thinking that it's hard to come up with something. Um, But I definitely think some type of interval where there's different waves, that that definitely could be a start. Yes, it's going to be different, but it could be something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would be be great to find some way to do it, you know, on a smaller scale or some way for people just to – to compete and still have those, you know, create those bonds and memories. So. Totally. Yep. Yep. Hmm. What do you guys think about, you know, the, to me, I'm a huge fan of the FKTs. I, we interviewed a guy um, named Ben Luck recently who set the fastest known time for kayaking a river in California called the middle fork of the Kings river. And it requires you hiking your boat for 16 miles over a 12,000 foot pass, putting on this river, navigating 40 miles of whitewater that drops some 7,000 feet. And he did this whole thing in 15 hours. 
Oh, and wow. it's just, where do you guys see, especially with 2020 into play, where do you see ultra running going and, wh- and what do you see as being, being interesting within the industry? I mean, I, I can guarantee that FKTs this year for sure are going to get so much more attention because I think that's how a lot of people are fulfilling the competitive nature. Um, I think, I mean, hopefully the only known times and the projects and things like that gain some traction as well. Cause I, I know they have been there all along, but I feel like they were kind of fringish. Yeah. Yeah. Where I, hopefully it kind of progresses in that area of, you know, like go and let's find the next big thing versus repeating the big thing right now, which I think will still be popular. And obviously we all still have aspirations on some of those things, but I think, you know, for, for Cody and I, especially, I think like the, the adventure part is what really draws us to a lot of the types of running that we do. You know, and, and Nate Bender, our friend, you know, he put together the Beartooth a couple summers ago, which actually gained traction. It's an only known time and it's pretty epic. You know, and he got recognition in the top five FKTs of the year for that because, you know, it was just the tip of the iceberg of like, oh my gosh, this was super epic, you know, and no one else has done that before. And, and hopefully things like that will gain the credit that they deserve really. So, no, I'm with you on the, on, on the, on the, these FKTs and other adventures kind of creeping in from the fringe a little bit. Um, I think that keeps it exciting. You know, I mean, it's, you're going to have your, your pillar races, your, you know, your Western States or your Mont Blanc or whatever. But, I don't know. There's just so much opportunity to do cool stuff out there. Cody, you should just go out in the mountains of Idaho and hide some antlers and call it the. (laughs) Right. You can put something together. Yeah. It is. I mean, there's so much out there. And I think just exploring your own backyard and going and putting time in, you can come up with so many different things. And it's so random. And for me, yeah, it's super random. I go, I have this hobby of picking up sheds or going deep in the mountains and just seeing something that I've always looked at on a map and you can put together these routes. And I think sharing that with people, it's this whole other world um, that I have really loved. And it kind of just goes into my lifestyle and what I grew up with and now seeing it kind of unfold across the world and people getting into it. um, It's just special to see that. Yeah. Human body is amazing. Well, this has been a great interview, guys. Um, congratulations again. Is there anybody, any shout-outs you'd like to get out there and uh, shut us down by letting our listeners know where they can follow each of you guys? Um, Let's see. So my, well, I guess thanks to our sponsors, um, Nike Trail, um, my primary sponsor. And you can follow me at runhappyb on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and find Brittany Peterson on Facebook. Yeah, and I think a huge thing for our success with the Superior Hiking Trail was definitely having the right people involved, and that was our crew. And I can't thank Brittany's dad, her brother, and Shannon is her brother's girlfriend. 
and they did such an amazing job and it was world class. I've done a lot of crewing and pacing over the years and I don't think we could have done it without people like that. And then having the backup from my sponsors, uh, Goo Hydration, Scott Running, just just awesome to have that support and knowing that you're loved and feeling the support as you go out there and do some of these crazy things. Um, and then you can follow me on Instagram at Lynn Cody, Twitter at Running Lind, and on Facebook at Cody Lind. And would love to just talk or talk about different routes and kind of see what people are up to out there. Yeah, I can't wait to see what you come up with with the antler challenge out there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the antler I like cup. Something. Now, thanks a lot, guys. That was amazing, and thanks for the time. Yeah, awesome. thank you so thank much. Thank you.